0: So this morning's reading is from Philippians 1 verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God.
1: I once spent some time in prison. It wasn't long. It was a few hours. I went in to visit someone and they weren't there. They'd been a naughty boy and they uh, had lost their visitor privileges and it was just found out. It was prison ministry. But I didn't like going into prison. It's quite disarming. You lose your identity very quickly. You leave your keys in the safe. Your mobile comes out of your pocket and goes into the same safe and any valuables also go in there. Then you go through the metal detector. And then the memories of all prison films you've ever seen start to come back, and it's really vivid. Honestly, hairs began to stand up on the back of my neck as people started to look at me as I went around with the guard. I was thankful that he was bigger than me. I was thankful that he was bigger than most people that I saw. But it was unnerving as he went past cell block after cell block. There were TV screens. There was the odd radio here and there. There were people doing gardening jobs. There was a chapel where people could worship. There were books and resources in the library. I once spent some time in prison. The prison that I visited was in nice leafy Surrey. I was going to read the Bible with a man who sadly wasn't available to be visited that day. But that man would have got three meals. That man would have had a bed to lay his head upon. That man would have had facilities to use if he needed a bathroom not so the Apostle Paul the Apostle Paul who's written this book that we're studying this term Philippians he once spent some time in prison he planted a church in Acts chapter 16 he visited Philippi and did what he loved to do which was to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope of the resurrection and he planted a church but by the time we read in Acts chapter 28 he's now in prison in Rome He writes letters and he's passionate about writing letters to support people and to encourage people. And so this letter that's written about AD 60 is written from prison and he's in trouble. Here's a picture that I want you to see. He would have been in the Mamertine prison in Rome. He would not have had freedoms that uh, the friend that I sought to see would have had. He wouldn't have had clothes to wear unless they were sent to him. He wouldn't have had food to eat unless people provided for his needs. He would not have had freedom unless it was granted to him by the prison warden. Prison 2,000 years ago was very different. No TV, not just because it wasn't invented at that time, but because liberties were far less and prisons were far, far harder places to be. He was poor he was in need of support and care and unless people on the outside provided for his needs needs, he would have died from starvation he would have died from hypothermia from the cold but from that prison cell he writes in AD 60 a letter to the church at Philippi that he planted and he wants to encourage them this letter is about joy 16 times in the book of Philippi where we read about its main theme to rejoice in the grace and kindness and mercy of God it's about joy in the midst of despair it's about light in the midst of darkness and it's a joy that saturates Paul's heart it controls his quill and it just empowers his life from a prison cell so if as I know so many of us are struggling this morning Facing difficulty, facing results, facing new chapters in life. This is a book for us because it's joy in the darkness. It's joy in the midst of despair. It's joy amidst an uncertain and changing future. And here's Paul and he says, chapter 4, verse 12. I've learned to be content in all circumstances. I want you to rejoice. I say again, I want you to rejoice. It's a command we're going to look at in a little bit. But I want your heart to be filled to overflowing with joy in Christ. Joy that comes from being in Christ alone. Joy that comes from the gospel alone. Because nowhere else will really satisfy. It's an ache. It's an ache in our heart that we all share. We we want joy, but we live in a world where it's in short supply. We're going to think about that, this ache. And then we're going to think about surrender. A surrender that satisfies because he's writing this letter from, a, well if we just go back to the last slide, he's, he's writing this letter from the, from the blue marker. He's in Rome and he's writing to a church by the red marker. And he's saying, I, I want to see you, I want to get to you, but I can't. So I'm sending this letter because I want God just to fan into flame the gospel in your heart to enable you to persevere in joy. But, but here's this ache. Here's this ache in our hearts that we all share. That's the first point. Can you look with me, please, at these verses? Verse three. Look at the, the emotions that come through His quill. Sentence three, Philippians chapter one. Verse three, "Every time I remember you." He's someone who prays frequently. Down in uh, verse four, "In all my prayers, I pray with joy because of what God is doing in your life. Down in sentence seven, sentence seven, "I have you in my heart." Sentence eight, verse eight, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now is some of you have started new secondary schools. You've been at information overload to the max. New teachers, where do I go? have I got the right clothes. How many times do I get barged by bigger boys and girls in the corridor? It's character building. But um, here is someone who doesn't want to give you information. Here's someone who's not your tutor. Here is someone who's more like a parent, who loves you and is passionate for you and his heart is for you, his affections are for you and he prays for you continually. And his name's the Apostle Paul. I'm in jail, I'm waiting on death row. I don't see much light. I've got very little resources unless they're sent to me. Going to the bathroom is really unpleasant and it's not private. And yet I see through the bars and I have a hope. I have a hope for a better day. I have a hope because my priority and my horizon, verse six, verse 10, is for the day, for that day, for a future day, the day of Christ. I'm in this prison. I've lost all my freedoms, but I'm passionate about what Jesus can do through the partnership, chapter one, verse six, that I have with you and that you have with me. Now, here's a lady on a screen I came across her in recent weeks. Her name is wonderful, Ingrid Fratelli Lee. She did a TED Talk. You can find TED Talks on absolutely everything and anything. And she's written a book on joy, so she must know something about the search for joy. She says this. She's an artist, and when she was an art student in America, she she came on this journey to just explore and understand and pursue joy. She said, joy is elusive. It's like a mist, we can't get hold of it. When I was a student, she said, I did some great artwork and I gave it to my professor. And the professor says, your work gives me joy. Your artwork gives me joy. She said, I do not, not in a deep voice. I do not want joy, I want an A. I don't care if it gives you joy, I want an A. And I don't want an A, I want a job. That's what she said and she started this journey to say we don't live in a world where there's much joy to be had. How do we live in a world where there's so much sadness, where death is real for us all, where there is so much decay, where there's so much disease, where there's loads of disappointment, whether you're in year seven, year 11 or whether you've seen many, many decades. Our world is fractured, it's dull, it's damaged and there's a lot of sadness around. How do we end up in a world like this? Paul, well the Apostle Paul who followed Jesus and who wrote this letter, he shares our search and our ache for joy. He's not in denial. He's not deluded. But he says, I have a joy in my heart so that although I'm in this stinking cell, I have a hope that's not lost. I have a hope that's not lost I have a hope in the future because of Jesus and the gospel look at verse 2 in verse 2 he he reveals part of the secret that he's found he says as he starts his letter grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ he has peace in his heart although there's a big probably ugly looking Roman guard who's seen lots of bloodshed and lots of life at the door and he says, my hope is not lost. My joy is not diminished. He, he has a wellspring in his heart of contentment and satisfaction. He could have written this. He could have said, dear church at Philippi, I'm so fed up. I feel that God has deserted me. I want to see you and I never will end. Like a long text message. But he doesn't, does he? He says, in spite of where I am, I am passionate about the gospel. My hope is to see you and I want for you what I've experienced which is deep and lasting joy. Is it not true that you've met friends uh, as adults or as young people and they have the latest gadget and they have membership to a a fancy club and they have lots of resources for disposable treats and treasures and yet they're not happy. Do you not know someone like that in your life? There is a deep longing in our heart, an ache. It's like food. You know, if you're hungry, you go to a cupboard and you get some food because food is in such great supply in our country. If you are thirsty, you have a thirst that can be met and you go and get some water. You should get water, not Coke. That's the end of the telling off for kids. Paul is saying there's something in your heart and it's like a heat seeking missile, it has to have a target. And if you live for money, it will not satisfy. If you live for treasures in this land and in this world, you'll never be truly satisfied. But there is a longing in your heart, that heat-seeking missile, that if it is uh, locked in on Jesus, then nothing can make that joy diminish. Someone mentioned Christmas last week, I believe, at least at the last prayer meeting. Remember that passage we read at Christmas? It's on the screen. The shepherds and the angels. Luke records for us in chapter two of the gospel. Do not be afraid. Everyone's afraid when you see the angelic host. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. What is the news? Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. When you're hungry, you need food. When you're thirsty, you need water. You need fluid, you need a drink. But for your heart's ache to be met, longing for joy, there is only one source that can do that. And his name is Jesus. He is the only one that will satisfy the ache of your heart, not your stomach and not your mouth for thirst. And Luke says that suddenly there's this great choir that appears in the heavenly realm in the skies and they start to sing a song, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Look at verse two. Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. It's the coming of Jesus that's like kindling in a fire that brings our hearts joy. Not the smile from a professor I don't want an A, I want a job. I want joy. Look at in John 15, John, uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. You don't need to turn to it, but John 15, he's describing this reality that soon he's about to die, he's about to go to the cross. But God is gonna send a comforter. God is gonna send the Holy Spirit and he will minister to the ache of the disciples' hearts. And he says this in John 15:11. I have told you this so that my joy, might be in you and your joy may be complete. Because Jesus is God, God, Father, Son, and Spirit is the source, the eternal dance, the eternal wellspring of joy and delight, one to the other. There's an indestructible joy in the Godhead. And Jesus says, The Holy Spirit will come to you, I will send him to you, and your heart will be like an overflowing wellspring of joy, the joy that I experience in the very Godhead. You can experience that joy because of the person of the Holy Spirit. As a man who's written a lot about joy, I will not say it in his accent, but his name is John Piper. And he says this, Jesus not only offers himself as the divine object of our joy, that's why we sing to him at church, but he pours his capacity for joy into us. So that we can enjoy Him with the very joy of God. That sentence is a deep well, worthy of considerable consideration. But in Philippians chapter 1, verse eight, Paul says, I'm praying for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. In other words, I'm praying for you, Philippian church, through the bars, I'll never get to you, you're across the sea unless you go the long way round. I'm praying for you with a a deep wellspring that God has given to me because of the Holy Spirit and I treasure and I love you and I'm affectionate towards you because of what he's done in my life and heart. So the source of joy comes from Jesus in the gospel, not on the vampire ride at the World of Adventures. The World of Adventures should not be the source of joy greater than the gospel. The source of joy this morning should not be in... Uh, just down the road in Chessington it should be wherever God's people gather. That's the source of joy. But you look at the church and sometimes joy is in pretty short supply. The Church is full of grumpy people. It's full of sad people. That's okay. It's full of self-righteous people. That's not okay. It's full of cynical and hard-hearted people. That's not okay either. And one of the reasons is because we don't understand how joy works. There is this ache, this longing for joy in our hearts. Ask anybody, it's in short supply. But there's a thirst, there's a hunger, and there's a resource whose name is Jesus can only satisfy the deep longing we find in our heart. But how? How on earth is that possible? Here's the key word, surrender. A surrender that satisfies. A surrender that satisfies. Look at verse one with me. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus now this word servant is actually slave it's the Greek word for slave and uh, the vast majority up to two-thirds of the Roman Empire was a slave Not slave in terms of what we would commonly see regarding skin colour and the Americas, but slave in terms of willingly going into service in a household. It was like a job that you would go into. You could be very well looked after in the employment of a master. But think about slavery in the context that they would understand it. You could be a slave, and when you're a slave, you're no longer your master. When you're a slave, you don't have freedom for your time. When you're a slave, you do what your master or mistress tells you to do. You're under their loving authority. We hope it's loving. You're under their control. But your will is not your own. Your time uh, table is not your own. But Paul is saying we are willing slaves. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the saints, that's the uh, Bible word for Christians. To all the Christians in Christ Jesus at Philippi. We're all slaves together. No slave is better than the other slave. But all of us are servants. We're servants to a master and his name is Jesus. Remember the song of the angels? Glory to God in the highest. And peace to men on earth and so on. But Paul is saying this. From prison, from my very cell... I am a slave to Jesus as Dave and Emily so helpfully said roles may change but the calling the burden on our hearts doesn't the source of income may change but we've all got the same high calling to live as servants of one master whose name is Jesus I've got chains around my wrist there's an armed guard at the door But I'm still involved with the same ministry to encourage fellow Christians to get the gospel out. And now, remember, he's in Rome by the blue marker and he's trying to write to Philippi, but he's written to other churches in Rome, in a place called Galatia, in a place called Ephesus and Colossae and other places as well, Corinth. And he's got exactly the same burden on his heart God is most glorified when I am most satisfied. And right now God wants me in this prison cell. So I'm going to honour him by writing to encourage Christians. I'm a slave to the glory of God in heaven. And when I see that, when God gets glory, I am most satisfied. And when I'm most satisfied, I have a source of joy in my heart. Joy in the gospel, joy in the goodness of God. It's it's right on the forefront of his mind. It's there in verse 1. I'm a servant, I'm a slave. It's there at the end. Did you notice verse 11, how the passage ends? It says, to the glory and praise of God. It's right in the forefront of his mind. It controls what he does in his day. It controls his thinking and he's passionate about the glory and the praise of God. Rooted, you're at that stage of life. You're 11 to 14-ish. You grow up in a home where you I expect, are told some things that you need to do. You need to get to bed now. You need to get up now. As you get more in teenage years, the second one is more important. You need to get up, and then you might have some jobs to do. You might have some work to do. Please take out the rubbish. Please lay the table, and so on. You're under authority. You're under the loving authority of mum and dad who care for you and are trying to encourage you and give you appropriate responsibility. Here's the Apostle Paul. And he says, like you feel, I've learned I didn't want to be the slave of anyone. I don't want to be the servant of anyone. I want to be in charge and go where I want to go and do what I wanted to do. And then Jesus met me and he transformed my life. And I went from hating Jesus and destroying the church to loving Jesus and building the church. I went from a wolf to a shepherd. Jesus transformed my life and we pray that he'll do the same for you as well. You know you'll be most happy adult, you'll be most happy young person. When God is most glorified in your heart, you will be most satisfied and that will fill your heart with joy. But for that to happen you need to see that you're a person under loving authority of a king. When you glorify me as a slave, when you follow me dying to your happiness and you live for my happiness, your joy will increase. That's just the way God has made life to work. It's The very opposite of our culture. And Paul shows it in his life. He's saying, I don't know if I can live one more day on this earth. This is in chapter one and into chapter two. I don't know if it's better for me to live or to die. If I die, I will see Jesus face to face. But you know what? For me to live is Christ. And when I die, it will be gain. That's one of the key verses in this book. It's the key of how to find joy. Trusting Jesus, living for Jesus is the source of joy. I've got a treasure in my life that I will rather die to see rather than live to win. And his name is Jesus. It's the gospel in his heart. I'd get rid of all my pleasures, all my freedom, even my life. You can take it all. But I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. You can take it all, but I'm living for Jesus. Now, Christian friend, I've got a long way to go on this. I like keeping my hands full of things and people and relationships. and Maybe you too. But Paul is so challenging, isn't he, to say there is de- should be a desire in your heart, Christian, to live for Jesus alone. Because you know that his fame and his renown and what you should be about, his glory satisfies. Living under his loving authority is the best place to be. When God is most glorified, you will be most satisfied. So Dave's praying, I want to go back to the Met Police. and I want to live for Jesus there in that hostile environment. I'm a slave to his glory because I love him more than anything else in this world. When that happens, there's just a flood out of your heart, as Paul's heart. I want to encourage you, my life is hard. My life is difficult. There's lots of reason to despair, but joy is not the same as happiness. And joy is joy unshakable. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. I mean, Jesus, he says, I am what you should be longing for. Other things are just like, well, they're just like C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said this, if you look for a joy in this world, there's only some things that will partially satisfy. It's a really famous quote that I thought about not using, but it's so good, so I'm going to use it again. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Lewis is saying we need to look beyond money, beyond sex, beyond relationships. We are half-hearted creatures. We fool around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like ignorant children who want to go on making mud, pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Doesn't it take a lifetime to realize this? It takes God to bring us low. But this is the operating principle of the world according to King Jesus and the Apostle Paul. You give Jesus everything. You hold nothing back. You serve him. And then you will experience indestructible happiness with God in your life. Very quickly before we get to the table, how'd you do that? (laughs) Okay, how'd you do it? Here's how. Later on in the letter, uh, chapter four, verse four, you might not just flip over to it. It's only a page away. Chapter four, verse four. The apostle Paul commands an emotion. You think, how can you do that? He commands an emotion. Here it is, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He's commanding an emotion. (laughs) In other words, how do you have joy without it being solely intellectual? The letter begins, it's a longing, it's affection, it's love, it's passion. And now he's commanding you to feel a certain way. How is that possible? The answer is it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who transforms your heart, who brings affections along with understanding. It's the Holy Spirit who's like the pilot light in your gas uh, boiler that you will need to turn on at some point this winter. It's why Jesus says in John chapter 16, It's a good thing for you that I'm going away so that God my Father will send the Holy Spirit to you and he will take what is true about me and he will make it real to you. He will make your hearts burn with the truth of the gospel. Verse 7 of Philippians chapter 1. All of you share in God's grace with me. We share in God's grace with the Apostle Paul and every other believer when the Holy Spirit does a deep and lasting work in our life to take us from our proud position and to humble us and to take us from our humble position and exalt us as we realize who we are in Christ. It's the beauty of the gospel. That's why verse 2 of Philippians chapter 1 it says from the pen of Paul grace and peace to you. Grace to you and peace. You must remember the grace of God in the gospel for peace to flow in your heart. He's on death row. He doesn't know where his next meal is going to come from until the Philippians sent him a, a, a care package. And he says grace to you and peace will come. How? because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He warms hearts and affections. He kindles and rekindles our love for King Jesus. And so right in the middle of the book of Philippians, we read about a sovereign who was known for his servant heart, just like our last sovereign was known for her servant heart, her dignity, her dedication. Her ability to look the most humble, needy person in the eye and then just say a kind word to a king from a foreign nation as well. Where did she get that passion from? It's because she knew the king. She knew the servant who left all the resources of the heavenly realm, who left his palace and came on a journey. Queen Elizabeth knew our king because he was her king too and if you look at Philippians chapter 2 we we read this remarkable piece of poetry and truth in the bible that describes a journey Jesus chapter 2 verse 7 says had all the treasures of heaven he lived in a palace he had his servants and yet he willingly took the nature of a of a slave why for the joy set before him and another book the with the book of Hebrews that you can see on the screen now this is the key for joy to flow in your heart and for you to become a servant and enjoy service that satisfies it won't be begrudging it won't be hard-hearted it won't be half-measured to the degree that you understand Jesus's motivation and your heart is warmed by that as the Holy Spirit takes that truth and puts it in the coal fire of your heart Jesus did not come begrudgingly. He wasn't dragged from his throne and from his palace. It says this, For the joy set before him, before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. That's the source of joy and surrender. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. To the degree you think and meditate and remain and steep your heart in the truth of what Jesus did, you will enjoy the gospel. You will live in the gospel. You will know the reality of chapter 1 verse 6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to fruition, to completion on the day of Christ. Consider him. Two words, consider him. That's the root for joy. What robs you and me of my joy is not losing the truth of the gospel. What robs you and me of my joy is losing the joy of the gospel. What robs you of your joy is not forgetting the cross of Jesus. What robs you of your joy is forgetting the love of the cross. What robs me of my joy is not forgetting the forgiveness of God, but forgetting the grace of God poured out in Jesus on the cross. And he did that so we might treasure him. We are his treasure, one for his father, for his glory. And if we treasure him, then his grace and his peace and his forgiveness flows into our heart and it will renew our affections day by day. He will become your treasure, you will become his servant and your heart will be flooded with joy because when you glorify Christ the most, you are most satisfied and joy will just be your heartbeat no matter what your circumstances and that's why Jesus invites his followers to come around a table and if someone else has written we do that to taste and to see that he is good